All right, guys, James Becknell. No, I have a, I have a mic. Hey, guys, how's it going? Thanks so much for uh, having me uh, in town. It's a, it's a joy to be here with you, and we're looking forward to a, a great weekend with you. Uh, thanks for braving the snow. I don't know if this, this is uh, your first snow, but uh, coming from Chicago, we had our first snow tonight as well, so uh, it was fun. You know, Snow is fun. It can be at least, right? So we're going to uh, talk about some, some things tonight that um, are near and dear to my heart. We are going to be talking about Jesus, first and foremost. Uh, Jesus as our teacher. And so, um, let's make sure this is working. Okay, we're good. Good there. Um, I'm excited to share, uh, share my journey with you this weekend, starting off tonight. Uh, really, it's, it's, a, it's a journey of, of spiritual seeking and spiritual growth. Uh, really, this material, although I do have an academic background in theology, this class really is about my own personal journey as a disciple, trying to figure out what my life is supposed to be all about. And I don't know if you're like me, but you might have been asking yourself, what is my life supposed to be about? That's kind of one of those age-old questions people ask themselves. They, are, they kind of stare at themselves in the mirror for a bit and try to sort out what their lives are supposed to look like. And the, the longer you're alive, the, the deeper that question can get. And I know I've, I've been asking it, like I said, myself for quite a while now. And I'm still trying to answer it, but I believe some of the things we're going to talk about tonight will help us down the road of answering that question. You know, today is often spoken of as the age of information. Information is vital to everything we do. Of course, it's always been that way since the very beginning of time. Where to find the meat was a vital piece of information for people who were trying to, to, to eat. Where is the water? You know, is also one of those central pieces of information that was important to survival. I found that today in our society, we are flooded by so much information that it's actually a bit overwhelming. Um, if you're, well, I guess if we all have one of these, I'm assuming we do. Maybe not one exactly like this, because this one's probably kind of old by, by comparative standards. But, but all of us have within our pockets, in our homes, access to what seems to be an unlimited amount of information. It's just flooding over us. Some of you enjoy taking in great amounts of information. Others feel overwhelmed by the amount of information that's available. And it, it's hard to discern between all of the sources which ones are good and which ones are false, which ones are going to help my life and which ones could potentially send me down the wrong road. You know, if we were to use that same analogy of, of meat, maybe there's those false roads that look like they might lead to meat and water, but they lead you down a ditch somewhere. And those kind of things are actually very real in the world that we live in today. There are roads that will lead to benefit, to prosperity, to growth, to health, to well-being, to ultimately have the good life that everybody out there is seeking. But then there are other roads that will lead us down the exact opposite road to loss and to 
confusion and to, to trouble. And I, I believe because there is so much information out there, it's even harder, even though we have more information, it seems to me to be even, it, it's even harder to discern what's, what's good and what's bad. Has anyone here taken the awareness test? Does anybody know about the awareness test? Okay, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the awareness test. And the awareness test is, it's going to be a, a video I'm going to show. So just all you have to do is listen to and watch the video. The video quality is not great, but you'll get the idea uh, as we show the video. So just follow the instructions on the video. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? That was, a, that was an ad for cyclists to look out for what you, what, what you might miss. So I, I, I'd like to entitle this lesson, alternate title to this message is Jesus, the moonwalking bear. <laughs> what happens to Jesus in the midst of the information peddlers? Unfortunately, he's usually pushed to the side disregarded or treated as some sort of a novelty. Somebody who is easily ignored as a religious figure who holds a special place in history. And for those of, of us who even believe that he's an actual historical figure. There are people in this world are pressing the information around about who Jesus is, what his life was about, and what, what was his message. It's easy to get caught up in all of the information that's available to us about him because there's a lot of it. You know, there's lots of books, there's lots of web searches that create that send you to YouTube videos. There's tons of stuff out there. But in the midst of all of this, it's easy to lose him in while you're right when you're looking for him. It's like the, it's like the awareness test. We're, we're, we're so fixed on the information that we fail to see what's right at the very center of the picture. And I believe that Jesus is at the center of world history. He is at the center of every aspect of human development. And he plays a very special role. But I pray that tonight we can talk about how to make sure we're getting the right picture of who he is. Unfortunately, because of all the, not, the information that's out there about him, there tends to be a setting aside of him and ignoring him. And this is unfortunate because, you know, if you think about what he can provide, it's really a true gem and a jewel that the world really needs. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it in the present world that we live in. 
There are many solutions for how life is supposed to work that are being offered, and Jesus doesn't seem to be at the forefront of those answers. While if we're Christian, we know that he, is, he needs to be, he should be important to us, but even as Christians, we can sometimes fail to understand the role that he's supposed to play in our lives. Sometimes even asking, what does Jesus mean to me? What's usually involved in becoming a student of somebody? You know, if you think about what it means to, to learn from somebody or become a, a student of somebody, what usually takes place? Like, for instance, I think we probably have some students, some high school students, some campus students. If, if you know, if you want to become uh, involved with someone as their student, either an individual person or an institution, what, what do you need to do to, to become a student of an institution or a person? Enroll. Okay, you need to enroll. Very good. So you should sign up for classes. Yep, you're going to have to pay cash money. For mo most, most education is not free. You've got to show up, right? Anything else? Yes. You've got to do the work, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, you have to, you have to, you know, if you're going to actually be a student, you, you can't resist the teacher. He's, he's got to be able to give you the good stuff. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I think we all have some, some really great insights into what it takes to be a student, right? And there are, there are tons and tons of things that we are, are, are doing every single day that show that we're, we want to be students of, of somebody. Now, if you're in high school, you might think, well, I don't really have a choice. I, I just have to go, right? <laughs> you know, if I, if I had a choice, I don't know if I'd show up for this or not. It's not that much fun. And the college students, they, they might think, well, I kind, of, I kind of think I have to do this. Maybe your parents made you go to school, or you know, maybe you believe, if I don't go to school, I'm just not going to make it in this world. Um, and so there might not be just a pure choice of, I'm just going to find a teacher, and he's going to, or she's going to show me how life is supposed to work. So what does the teacher have to do to convince you to become their student? It's very common to find Christians who are working hard in a lot of different fields, whether it be study or some sort of profession that they're involved in. And there's a lot of energy and focus that goes into figuring out how to, how to do all this, starting with enrolling, being admitted, doing the homework, showing up, being a willing student, all these things you guys have just mentioned. And at times, Jesus doesn't get the same level of respect that we might give to a, a, an institution that's going to educate us in biology or geology or the sciences or something like that. And so as we think together about this subject of Jesus as our teacher, I want for us to just think of it in a, in a very practical, from a very practical standpoint. We want to make Jesus our actual teacher. We want to be able to show up, hang out with Jesus, and learn all the stuff from him that he's ready and willing and desires to teach us. He's got to be respected first for that to happen, though. And so we have to ask ourselves, starting off, first and foremost, do we respect Jesus? And I, and I don't mean that to be like a, one of those questions of to put anybody down. It's just a simple 
question to think. Is Jesus somebody that you respect and you would be willing to allow you to, be, to become your teacher, to become your partner in life, to help you sort things out? And so as we think about that together, I want for us to consider just the way we might study engineering, medicine, algebra, anything else that we've invested ourselves in, that we would ask ourselves the question of, is Jesus our teacher? Now, you might be saying, well, James, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Of course, Jesus is my teacher. And I, I would like to ask you to put the pause button on assuming the answer to this question, to actually think about what it means before you answer. Because there's, there are some ways that being a Christian can become a habit of being in a certain community. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we show up to church, and, and everybody here showed up tonight diligently. You know, this wasn't that bad of a snow for Wisconsin, right? You know, it, it, down, down south in Chicago, this is the kind of snow that would shut us down. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, you push through the, 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 the tough weather, the, the cold, the dark, and you got here tonight. And you made it, right? You showed up to church. Maybe Sunday morning comes around. And you know, I'm definitely going to be there. It's time to pay your tithe. That plate passes and, and you joyfully and willingly give your contribution. You know, and we have, a, we have some sort of a Wednesday night devotional. You show up to that. You even read your Bible on a regular basis and you pray. But what I, what I want us to think about all of that is of all of those things, which of those things are us being a student of Jesus? Think about it. We could, we could walk right through and live within our Christian community and do all the stuff that we're supposed to do to be a full-fledged, full complete, total member of the community, checked all the boxes. You know, nobody's going to look twice at us when it comes to whether we're good members or not. And we might not even necessarily be attending to the life of Jesus in a way that is, is, is representing that we're actually following him. And it's, it's I'm, and please, this is not judgment. It's just we have to have reality checks. We have to have reality checks because sometimes if you're like me, you just get caught up in doing the church thing every, every week and you just show up and you pay your tithe and you sing the songs and you love people and you do all the stuff you think you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, if you're anything like me and the part of what motivated me to study a lot of these things out is I'm sitting there going, is, is, is this it? Is this all that, you know, I, I love the church, but it seems like I'm missing something here. You ever feel like you're missing something? And, and I, I believe a part of what could be missing is putting Jesus at the center of the picture the way that he's supposed to be. Truly drawing him into the center of your universe so that he becomes the focal point for everything that you do. It can change the way that you attend worship. It can change the way that you work, that you, the way that you do your job. We'll, we'll talk more about that, but there, there's a, a, a very important thing that we have to first start with, and that's just figuring out how to properly respect 
who Jesus is. Just who is he? And is he, first of all, is he worthy of our respect? Is he somebody who, it sounds very, like, irreligious of me to say these things, doesn't it? But the truth is, we kind of blow Jesus off all the time. We do. It's, it's, it's not, and I don't think anybody, I don't think we have bad hearts about it. I don't think we're, I don't think we're trying to ignore him. It's just we're in the midst of the crush of all that information, and sometimes we don't just, we, we don't know which way is up, and we have a hard time sorting it all out. So here, here's a question for us in the midst of this, uh, this discussion. You know, who, who's the smartest person that you know? Now, I don't mean you have to know them, like, you may know somebody who you think is the smartest person, but know of might be a better, a better way to put this. I put Albert Einstein on the, on the, on the board just to take him off the, off the map, right? Because he's like one of those obvious answers. Who, who are some of the other people we think, when we think about intelligence, who are some of the people we think about? Yes? Okay, well, there you go. That's a, that's a bold statement uh, right from the center of the audience there. Yes? Okay, Isaac Newton. Brilliant. Any others? Uh, Archimedes. Archimedes. Wow, you've got some, we've got some bright minds in here. We're drawing on ancient history. Yes? Okay, Tesla. Yes. Any others? Yeah? LeBron James. LeBron James. <laughs> He's a genius. He is a genius. Yes? My wife. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes? Beethoven. Okay, Beethoven. Yes. Brilliant. Any others? Yes? Okay, I don't know who that is, but you can... Alexander Fleming is a genius. Okay, I'll learn from you later. Yes? Uh, William Sylvester. William Sylvester. Okay, any others? Uh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, yes. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, yes. There, there, are many, there are many ways to think about intelligence, right? Think about some of the answers we offered about, about intelligence. We offered, we offered musicians. We offered... Coaches, we offered wives, uh, we, offered, we offered all different, there's a diversity when it comes to intelligence, right? And we understand that, but when we recognize that somebody's truly intelligent, it, we, 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 can, we can see it. It's evident. And pretty much everybody will recognize it. Everybody will be like, yep, you know, maybe some of the people you didn't know, you were like, yeah, I guess he's intelligent. I don't know if he is or not. <laughs> but many of those people we mentioned, everybody's head was nodding. Because we, we, we all know it. Now, if we were to go out on the street in Eau Claire, and we were to, to do a, a survey on the street, and you went around and you asked 100 people, it was your job to survey 100 people and ask them the same question. Who, are, who is the smartest person you know? Of those 100 people, how many of them do you think would mention Jesus? So, think about this. I think this is a critically important part of this lesson. One out of, let's just say one, two. And it's probably going to be that one guy who just answers Jesus to everything. <laughs> right? Who's the best coach? Jesus. You know, who's the best musician? Jesus. You know, that, that guy, that's the guy that said Jesus. Okay, so we've got this, we've got, think about this, guys. Think about the world that we live in. We live in a world where pretty much 100 out of 100 people won't even think about Jesus as somebody who's intelligent. I, 
think there's a problem here. A big one. Like a, a mass, a huge problem. And I, 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 would, I would have to say, without being prompted, without being prompted, it would probably be the same inside the church. That, that would probably, it probably wouldn't be that much of a difference in terms of the answer to that question if we asked it in the church. Now, I set you up to answer this at, from, from outside. You know, I set you up to think differently about it by putting Albert Einstein up there and get you going. And I wanted to hear those answers, right? But we have to take this problem seriously. If we're going to get anywhere with, with him. If he's not somebody who is worth basic respect when it comes to being a person of intelligence and capability, then how, how are we going to properly become his students? You know, one of the things, you know, you're, you're, not gonna, you're not going to sign up to attend a school that has a terrible reputation for educating its students, are you? No, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to pay the money and spend the time to go to a school that doesn't produce some kind of tangible results. Either I'm going to learn something I didn't know before, I'm going to gain wisdom, or I'm going to figure out how to do some kind of job. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be able. I've seen other people go to this school, and now they're, they're engineers, and they're doctors, and they're lawyers, and they're doing all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go to a school. I'm not going to enroll under a teacher who can't teach me. And I would say that in our culture today, and even among Christians, and even within our own community here, Jesus is automatically disassociated from brilliance and intellectual capacity. Not one in a hundred, not one in a thousand, will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with words such as well-informed, brilliant, smart. But how is that even possible? What does the Bible say about who Jesus is? Jesus is, according to Scripture, he is the one who partnered with God to create the universe. He might know a couple things. He might know a couple things. And what lies at the heart of, of a lot of this disregard of Jesus there's, there's a lot of factors that play into this, but what lies at the heart of, of this is just simply not thinking he's somebody with a great sense, with a great capacity, with great intelligence. Now, I use that language specifically, not, not because that's the only thing that's important about Jesus, but as far as truly making Jesus our teacher, that's, that's the one that we need to be thinking about for tonight as we consider this subject matter. He is somebody with great intelligence. So today, lack of respect, but in the ancient world, in, during the time of the early Christians, Jesus was thought to be somebody of great capacity. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2 in uh, verse 3. Actually, we'll start in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 2. We'll look at what Paul said to the Colossians about, about who Jesus was to them. Colossians 2, if you don't have a Bible, you can read from the screen here. Colossians 2, uh, 2 and 3. It says here, my, my purpose is this, that 
they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does Paul have to say about Christ's capabilities? He says that in Christ are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. A natural progression of this kind of confidence in who Jesus is, is to turn and invest everything in to being his student. Everything. We see these radical responses from the early church to Jesus' presence. They, they just seem to flip everything over to him and give up their whole lives to follow him. Well, a part of it was how they perceived what he was doing. They believed that he was the one that had all the answers to how life was supposed to really work. And and according to this statement that Paul's making to the Colossians, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And if you think about that, later on in Colossians, in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul encourages us to do everything in word or deed, all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this is... They learned to do everything that they said or did in cooperative action with Jesus. And he was their always present teacher. So the aim of of my thoughts for tonight are this. That we would reimagine our relationship to Jesus and make him our master in every aspect of our lives. So think about, again, the moonwalking bear. Let's not take our eyes off of him. We were misdirected in that video, weren't we? So, did anybody see the bear? And you hadn't seen the video before. You, 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 had, you can't, no, first time. First time. You know, did anybody see the bear first time? I didn't. I didn't. That's why I love this video. Because almost nobody sees the bear the first time. But now that you know that the bear's in the video, you're never going to miss him again. And my prayer is that through these thoughts tonight, we can draw our attention on to the Lord Jesus, our master, our teacher, our guide for everything. As the most intelligent human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. The guide for everything in life. How all of life is supposed to function. Not just your church life. You see, Jesus, if Jesus wanted to be a physicist, could he have done that? Certainly he could have. If Jesus wanted to be a world-renowned biologist, could he have done that? Certainly he could have. If Jesus wanted to be a a, a man who was well-versed in world philosophies and knew all that there was to know about that, could he have done that? Now, you got to think about this. What did Jesus With all that intelligence, what did he choose to do? Where did he choose to channel his intelligence and his energy? I I think what you're going to find is he precisely designed 
his life and set his life up to be focused on the things that were going to bear the most fruit for the most people for all history. And guess what? We're here together in Eau Claire, Wisconsin in 2018 talking about Jesus, a, a guy from Nazareth who is literally from a town smaller than Eau Claire. If, if, there was a, if there was a map of Israel in his time, Nazareth would not even be on the map. It wouldn't even be on the map. He came from this small town, very small place, a place where it was assumed nothing good comes from there. Nothing. Nazareth. Here he comes. And, and he becomes the guy that Paul's talking about in this passage. And I, and I want for us to just, if anything, let's just get our eyes fixed on the moonwalking bear and just never take our eyes off of him. Amen? Amen. So uh, just uh, we're going to go through a few teaching points here. The, the first point that I want to talk about is, is Jesus as our teacher for the very purpose of our life. So it's to be our objective to learn from Jesus, our teacher, the very reason why we are alive and why we do everything we do. Jesus brings us trustworthy guidance in regards to who we are, why we are here, and what appropriate motives are for every activity. So I think, about, think about this from the standpoint of we're, we're not just, and I think we can get caught up in this as Christians. We can get caught up in going to Jesus for like the religious stuff. Jesus is going to teach us all about religious stuff, and then everything else, which if you're in this world, you, you, you go to class, you go to work, you, you know, end up, you'll end up possibly one day getting a job where you work 50 or 60 hours a week. You have a family, you have car payments, you have a mortgage, you have all this stuff going on in your life. And you build up this kind of life where a lot of your time is not spent doing religious stuff. Maybe a very small slice of it is just religious stuff when it comes to activities. Now, if Jesus is just the master of your religious stuff, how much of your life is he going to be involved in? Just that little sliver, right? But we're, we're trying to avoid Jesus just becoming the, the, the one who's smart for the things that have to do with how we worship on Sunday and what we pray about, but how we do everything. And that's what that passage in Colossians 3.17 is really about. But here, as elsewhere, we're constantly bombarded by misinformation and we're left to be manipulated into misery by our own desires and the will of those who would use us. The usual human fate is to choose a job, a profession, a spouse, or a house only for one's own greater pleasure, power, and glory. And this is where it, it said what rules are these things. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Our lives can get wrapped up in all the stuff in this world. And, you know, there's a reason that these things bring some sort of satisfaction to us, or we wouldn't get wrapped up in them. And in, in a, from a worldly standpoint, those are the very things that we are encouraged to jump into and participate in. But on the other hand, what we're hoping will happen 
is that we'll, we'll turn to Jesus. He'll give us that reliable information. And we'll start to think about who we really are. And one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, he says this about human beings. He says, first he informs us that we are by nature unceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. We will never stop existing, and there is nothing that you can do about it. Imagine accepting, we're, we're, we're caught up with our nose to the grindstone in this world, and so many things going on, right? And, and when you're caught up in that, sometimes it just seems like that's what life, everything in life is all about. But when we lift our eyes, that's a part of the reason I like the picture in this, in this slide, part of the reason we need to lift our eyes up and take in some stars every once in a while is because it was going to remind us that there's so much more going on in this world than what's just right in front of our nose. We're, we're created for a greater purpose. And, and I, I will guarantee you, no matter what you've gone through in your life, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've come from tonight, you sense this. You, you sense that there's something vital and, and important about your life. You sense that you're meant for something greater. I think pretty much every, every young person imagines that something great is in their future. And I just want to say that's, that's right. That, that sense is, is God speaking to you. It's God speaking in you and through you, and he desires to draw you in to the upward glare, the upward, the upward stare, so that you can see that there's so, you're, you're made up to do something so much more than just get a job. And for those of us who have jobs, you know, it's not really that exciting. Okay, that's just the truth. It's a job. What's beyond a job? What's beyond a house? What's beyond having a family, as wonderful as that is? There's got to be something more. And I believe that God is trying to draw us to, into thinking about that. Here's something to consider. The electromagnetic spectrum. Okay, so who, do we have any, like, real geeks in this audience? Like, what if, like, I just would love it if just everybody raised their hands. <laughs> like, just a whole room of geeks here. Um, I, I'm geeky about certain things, but I'm, I'm not so much of a science geek. I find, the, I find this to be an interesting kind of parallel to reality. And, and that this, this. You see on this spectrum, there are, there are various, basically there are various materials that are visible and invisible along this kind of wave, this, this wave here. And right there, if you can see, I don't know if I... Right there, those, those color bars are what is visible. That's what, with the human eye, out of all of this kind of, this, this, all, out throughout all this electronic, electromagnetic spectrum, that's what we can see. But there's, there, there's so much we can't see. There's so much that we just can't see. Now, there might be other ways to measure these things, right? But, but, but with, the, with our visible eyes, we're, there's so much that we, we miss. And, and I think this is a good parallel for what it means to, to think about God's work in our life. Why? Because there's a lot of stuff God is doing that we, we, can't, we can't always just put our finger on and see it happening or see it working. But it's absolutely happening. 
without a shadow of a doubt. And so uh, to draw us, I think I might have turned this off. Yeah, thank you. Um, or the battery died or something. Um, and so as we think about this, I want for us to consider we have our, a lot of, in a lot of ways, as we stand right now, we've already fallen from God's intentions for us. And, and, and I think, first and foremost, I just want for us to, this, I don't want for us to feel guilty about this. I don't want for us to be weirded out about this. But in many regards, we, we may have fallen from God's intentions already. You might be coming in here tonight just feeling like, man, I just barely made it here tonight. I was, I was not going to come. I don't want to be about, around a bunch of religious people. They make me feel guilty. And I, I don't want to feel guilty. You know, like I could be out, I could be out at the bar with my friends or I could be out, you know, playing video games with my, with my friends from school. Why, why am I here? Maybe you came in feeling like that tonight. Well, I, I want for us to consider taking, taking the edge off of that. And, and don't, 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 God doesn't want you to feel guilty. Guilt serves a purpose, but God doesn't intend for you to just walk around feeling burdened with guilt. Certainly, if you have some guilt in your life, there might be reasons to change what you're doing so you don't feel guilty, but it's not meant to be a permanent state of feeling. But, but I want for us to think about how we can let ourselves come under the reign of God and come under his flow of activity again and start to reimagine how our lives are going to work. To not simply just rely upon what the world will offer us, but rely upon what he promises us he will give us. So I want for us to think about this for a second. It's, it's very, sometimes we get caught up thinking, man, being religious is it's just way too hard. It's too hard. It takes too much energy. It takes way too much time. I don't have time for that. I got to study. I got, you know, I got to hang out with my girlfriend. I don't know. Whatever you might be thinking, it's, it's going to take away from. But there's a passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, that talks about coming under the yoke of Jesus. I think about, oh, look, somebody changed the slide for me. <laughs> okay, so I want for us to think about this passage. Let's read it together, and then we can think about it. It says here, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A lot of times when we think about being a good Christian, we think about, uh, about all the burdens that are going to come our way. So we might read this passage, and there was times in my Christian life when I read this passage like, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and I will give you so much to do, you're going to be overwhelmed. Well. <laughs> That's the message of Christianity. Yay! I'm going to give you so much to do, you can barely stand it. No. Jesus promises us, if we take his yoke, we're actually going to, to be given rest. Yeah. Rest. And I know you get a lot of great messages from Joel about this subject. But, but imagine, imagine this. Imagine, imagine if the chairs you're sitting in, you know, do you guys have any reason to doubt that they're working? Seem to be working perfectly. So what is the evidence to you that those chairs are functioning properly? Yes? I'm not falling down. Thank you. He's a genius. Pure genius. He's, gonna, he's going on my list now. So, Bright, you're, you're not falling over. Imagine if you didn't trust the chair you're sitting in. 
Imagine just right now, you just, you, all of a sudden you just got super freaked out about whether that chair was going to hold you up or not. So what, what are some options you have if you feel very shaky about that chair taking care of you? It's like standing up's the best option, right? If you, if you think that's going to fall over, stand up. Well, what about just trying to do this for the next 20 minutes? How are we going to do? Probably like Grayson, he could probably do this for like a half an hour, right? I, I, I don't know how long I have doing that. Not long. But a lot, a lot of us, that's the way we're living our Christianity. That's the way we're living our Christianity. That's the way we're living out. That's, the, our, that's what we imagine life of faith would be like. If we're not living in the faith, that's what we imagine it would be like. And probably some of us have good reason to believe that's the way it is because we've watched our Christian friends all live like that. Like, oh, yeah, man, it's hard. I, whoo, it's hard. I can't, I don't know, I'm barely hanging on. I can't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's hard. Yes, it is hard. I'm not trying to dismiss the, the challenge of Christianity. But I, I also want us to reimagine resting in the yoke of our teacher. That, that's, that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. He wants us to imagine what it would be like to truly rely on him. When I sit back on this, it's a little shaky, so this might be like the chair, this little wall right here. But if, if I'm, if, you know what, if I, give me that chair. If this thing is really working, oh. <sighs> this feels good. Yeah. You know, it feels good. I'm chilling. I am chilling now, right? I'm not worried. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's, Jesus wants you to come. This is the invitation to come. Come on, come and follow me. I'm not going to make your life harder. I'm actually going to make your life better. I'm going to make your, I'm going to make your life easier. I am, now that sounds like a, a radical promise right there. But Jesus is going to make your life easier. <laughs> I'm going to guarantee you, if I lived the last 25 years of my life without Jesus, things would be a lot harder right now. A lot harder. And sometimes when you're young, it's hard to imagine that. It's hard to imagine how things are going to be in 25 years. But I'm going to guarantee you, if you choose to follow Jesus... And you're not, you're not following him yet, and you're deciding about that even tonight. If you follow him, I guarantee you, it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to guarantee you, it is going to be easy. <laughs> it's going to be significantly better, because guess what? Life is hard for everybody. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has challenges. Everybody struggles. Everybody has to face those challenges. But do you want to face them with Jesus or without him? And I, I would say, my, my vote is for Jesus. Let's do it with him. Amen? Amen. So I'm, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna land the plane here as we start to talk about Jesus in, at, at the gut level. Think about Jesus in terms of your internal personality. Jesus is our teacher at the gut level. Now, why do I use this language of gut? What, what do you think when I, when I say gut? Well, I'm, I'm kind of like gesturing to it. I'm kind of assuming what you might think. But, but, but when, you, when, you hear, when you hear gut, or what, what do you think about? Walnut 
stomach, okay? That's the anatomical thing we think about. What, what, else, does it, what else does it draw to your mind when you think about, about gut? Yeah. Say again. Intuition, right? Yes. It's like that feeling in your gut, right? And anything else that comes to mind when we talk about gut? Instinct, right? So we're talking about something that I think it, it, it's interesting because we're going to get out here in the Bible. This is actually a, a more accurate kind of definition of heart. So when we talk about heart, what, what do we typically think about today? What comes to mind? Love. Right? Romance. Probably even feelings, Right? Things that are associated with, with the swelling of our feelings, our, 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 you know, our emotions, and things of that nature. But if you look at how the, the Bible talks about heart, it's actually, it's, it's not about how you feel. It's about, and as a matter of fact, the heart would, would describe pretty much like everything right here. It was, it was, the, it was the center of your stamina and your character. It was what held your life together. And so that's why I like to use the language of gut. Jesus is the teacher for our gut. He's the one that shows us how this vital organ, spiritual organ, is supposed to actually work. And that's what makes him the master. That's what, that's what brings out his true intelligence. Because yes, he could have been a physicist, but he became a master of how the heart works. And he shows human beings how their lives are supposed to function. It's, it's actually quite remarkable, given where he came from, the resources he had available to him. He taught farmers. He taught people in rural communities. He also taught the religious. But most of the people he reached out to and, and taught were, were, were common people common man. And those messages were, were so simple and powerful, they could be taken in and they would change their lives. But he also speaks to the heights of the ivory tower at the same time. Because any, the most educated person is going to receive the same message. It becomes a universal message for all time in all places. That's what brings out Jesus' absolute genius in the way that he went about teaching. And he wants for us to get our spiritual organ on right. And he's very good at it. He's very, very good at it. So in, uh, in the Bible, just a, a little, a little uh, Greek here, uh, the word cardia is, is the word for heart. And this is uh, the definition of the Greek term, heart as the seat of physical, spiritual, and mental life, as the center and source of physical life, as the center and source of the whole inner life, what with its thinking, feeling, and volition. So you see how this is much more than, than just a matter of, of your feelings. So what's the problem with your gut? If we're to draw out some of the problems that, that could be involved. Well, the problem with your gut is it could be wrong. And ha so I like this. this thought, I thought this was funny. Maybe your gut feeling was just indigestion after all. <laughs> this guy had some business projections that didn't go very well. So... What how our, our, our gut, our heart, is formed over time, right? We have a formation that takes place, and we become a certain kind of person over time. 
Now, the way Jesus works, he can interrupt the formation that's already taken place, and he can start to re-engineer you from wherever you're at. That's the beauty of, of this. But up to this point, we've had a formation. Up to this point, we've become a certain kind of person. And depending on your formation, whatever your gut is telling you, it could be horrible. It could actually be completely crazy and insane and corrupt. But it could also be wonderful and beautiful and, and, and amazing. You know, the one way to think about it is Mother Teresa had a formation, but so did Hitler. They, they both had a formation. And you've had a formation, right? And you're, ha- and you're in the midst of formation right now. And so my, my encouragement to us is to consider turning to Jesus for how our, our guts are supposed to be developed, how our hearts are supposed to be developed. So this question of, you know, why this topic is so vitally important is all you have to do is look into the teachings of Jesus. He talks about it constantly. Um, Mandela had this to say about the heart. He says, a good head and a good heart are always a formidable combination. You know, this together, if it's good, it's something that can't be stopped. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. Where do we find the central teachings of the heart in the Gospels? Well, let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 5.21. And we will um, we'll start to uh, descend here. You know, planes take a long time to, to land, especially if they're preacher's planes. Uh, Amen. So we're, you know, we're, 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 we're landing the plane. Um, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, is uh, at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. What I would like to encourage you to do is, as, as a way to walk away from this lesson and to think more about it, is read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and think about the things we're talking about. Jesus is very laser-focused on the heart. You know, th- let, let's just read Matthew 5, uh, 21 here together, and we'll, we'll, we'll get the sense of what I'm talking about. If, maybe I could have somebody read Matthew 5, uh, 21 through 26 for me. Somebody... If you could stand and read out, read loud so we can all hear, please read for us. Okay, so what I want to draw our attention to, and then you can go through and read the rest of the sermon thinking about this. One of the things Jesus says in, in the sermon frequently, is that he says something like this, you've heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said. Well, what is Jesus referring to when he says that? 
Anybody know? Yeah, he's referring to the Old Testament law. He's saying, you've, you've heard that it was said that you should not murder, right? Mur not murdering is a good thing. I'm not going to ask anybody, have you murdered anybody? Like, oh, we're not, not going to do that. Um, think, think about, think about, what, think about is, it, is it hard not to murder somebody? I mean, for me, it's, it's not that hard. You know, like, I've been working on it for a while, so I'm, I'm better at it now. I used to struggle with it all the time, but, right? It, it's, it's not really one of those ones that's like, wow, ooh, man, I just made it through today. I really was going to murder that guy. But. But, but Jesus, he draws the comparison. He says, you know, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I say to you, I say to you, and he does this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. What's Jesus doing here? This is super important to understanding how Jesus thinks about how our lives are supposed to work. What's he doing? He's drawing us away from a, a legalistic boundary, and he's, he's zeroing in on this. Zeroing in on it over and over and over again in this sermon. And not only here, but this is really the, the central focus of his teachings with people, is to get them out of whatever kind of mindset they're locked in and to get them to change their mind about what their lives are supposed to be centered around. Now, if you take seriously the prescriptions that Jesus is giving you about how your life is supposed to work here, just from the Sermon on the Mount, how do you think your life is going to go? It's, it's going to be ridiculously good. That's Jesus. That's why we're trying to figure out how to actually keep him in the center of the picture. He's going to show you how your life is supposed to function. And so he's going to give us that new gut if we'll, if we'll let him. Amen? You know, lastly, the thing I want to just draw our attention to is this something that it, it works for everyday life. And, you know, Jesus wants to train our every activity, what, no matter what it is. You know, we go back to that passage in Colossians 3, 17. It's not just for the religious stuff. It's for everything. You know, when, uh, when uh, my wife Jennifer and I, we had, uh, we had this thing a few years ago where we were trying to, like, really grow in our marriage. And one of the things that really bothered my wife a lot on a daily basis, it, it, was, it was dishes. Oh, dishes. Dishes just. Oh, the dishes. Just, it just was like, I got so much going on. Oh, God. And I got this pile of dishes that I got to deal with. And so as, a, as an act of, of, of bravery, as an act of valiance, as an, as an act of riding in on the white horse to save my wife from the dishes, I said, honey, honey, I will do the dishes. I will do the dishes. Amen. <laughs> So, so I said I'll do the dishes. And so here, here's, how, here's how I did the dishes. Dishes, man. Stupid dishes. I'm gonna do these dishes all the time. Oh, I get the dishes. And I just, and I just, I had, I, it was like a 40-minute attitude session while I did the dishes. And I and I and then I read, I read about a monk named Brother Lawrence who it was his job in the monastery to wash the dishes. And he basically wrote about washing dishes. 
He, he wrote a book that included washing dishes. And, and Brother Lawrence, he had a different mentality about how to wash dishes. He said, Lord, thank you so much for this dish. What a, what a, what a blessing that I get to live in a community where we have dishes. Thank you for having a reason and a place to serve in this community, having a job to do that's, that's important to everybody, and I'm able to help provide for this community. Thank you, God, that we have food here in this community that we can put on these plates. And that's when he took to his job, that's how he did it. Now, after 40 minutes of doing the job his way and 40 minutes of doing the job my way, how do you think we're going to end up after, after it's all said and done? Who's going to be happy? Brother Lawrence is going to be the happy one. I'm going to be the one with an attitude. And I just use that as a simple example for this is, this is about down to, I want you to imagine this being about you, how you wash dishes. Because imagine, think about how, how you could flip your life completely upside down if you thought about things from this vantage point. So that everything, Colossians 3.17, so that everything you did, you, you did it with Jesus in mind whether it's washing dishes or doing chores or mowing the lawn or picking your children up from school or doing your homework or whatever the case may be. If you took it all under this kind of mentality, this will be a great advancement in your spiritual life. And that's actually quite, it's quite a simple thing to, to do. It's just, it's just it's, you're not changing anything. You're actually, you still got to do the dishes, you still got to do your homework, you still got to do all the stuff you're doing, right? But you're just doing it in a different way. And so that's my encouragement as we try to develop new guts in the way of Jesus, that we can do it in this way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to come together, to think about you, Lord. We, we pray that as we struggle with all the things coming our way every day, that we would be able to focus our attention on you. God, I pray that we'll, we would not forget to focus on you at the center of everything, that we won't, for the sake of trying to keep up with all the passes, miss the moonwalking bear. We love you, Father. We pray that you can teach us to love you more deeply. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.